Hey, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Today is episode number 116. It's Phil, John, and Logan back to talk about woodworking. On today's episode, we'll be discussing construction choices and the decision tree, as well as vacation updates. Want to thank Shaper Tools. They're the sponsor of today's episode. They make that Shaper Origin, the handheld CNC router that brings digital precision to the craft of woodworking. Tackle joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, and more with speed and precision. Best of all, you can try it risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Visit shapertools.com to learn more. Now, last week we had a special guest, Becky, on there, which was noticed by people. Rick Mm -hmm. writes, nice to see you again, Becky. John, now that you have successfully finished your getting rid of stuff challenge, we challenge you to finish the tool cart and take it home. I feel like Becky. <laughs> I got nothing to put to in that. it. Right. Yeah, I don't have anything to put in it anymore. So what's the point? Yeah. So. Uh, Kevin from Kansas City writes that Logan, you or any of the guys have a standing invitation to the Kansas City Woodworkers Guild meeting, third Wednesday of the month. And yeah. Rolf yeah. says that he's a member of the. Rochester Woodworkers Society in Rochester, New York, and they are still doing virtual and in-person meetings. And Logan, you were at the uh, Des Moines Woodworkers meeting last night. I was, and there was some people that were there virtually. So some were in person, some were virtual. It was awesome. And I will actually, and I think I replied back to Kevin, I will be down at the uh, Kansas City Woodworkers Guild here in June, first week of June, shooting some photos with um, Keenan Oren. Um, so, yeah, not there to do anything besides work, but, you know, just the lame stuff. Right. So I got back from my family vacation this past week. Thanks for picking up the slack last week on the podcast. Yeah, did we really pick any up or did we just <laughs> let it slack in a little yeah. more? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, you got a podcast out the door. That's, yep. true. that's what that's what matters. <laughs> we were down in the Gulf Shores, Alabama, which was my first trip to the Gulf Coast ever, and that was it was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Drove all the way down there from Iowa, which was longer than necessary. Not as fun. Nah, it wasn't too bad. Like once we got into Southern Tennessee and Mississippi, it was interesting because having never been there, I didn't really know what to expect and it was different than what I expected. And I'm not sure how. So did you, did you do all the driving or did you get split driving? Oh no, I did the whole thing. Oh God. We did it (laughs) over two days. The first day we drove from here to, uh, Tupelo, Mississippi, which is like 11 and a half hours worth of driving in a day. And then from Tupelo to Gulf Shores the next day, which was like five and a half or almost six or something like that. Six, I think. Yes. Or six and a half. So really, so 17 hours is what it ended up being total. Yeah. I'm not sure how that worked because when I look it up on, on the Googles, it tells me like 19 hours, but 
you are flying, so you can spe- send all your speeding tickets to Phil Huber. Yeah. Like, I mean, so to be honest, you could do that in a extre- like in an extremely long day. Oh yeah, yeah. Like my dad, if, who's yeah. retired, but he drives an expedited van for delivery, and he's done some multi-day trips where he's driven a solid. I don't know, 15 or 16 hours or something like that. Yeah. Now, like LTL drivers, so semi-drivers, I believe, have, like, maximums that they can drive. Right. In any given day or, like, a 24-hour period or something something weird like that. But, yeah, like, family vacation, man, if you just put your foot down and go, pee in a bottle the whole way, it's great. I feel like we lost Logan. (laughs) Did you? He blacked out. Right. When, oh, there he is. When I, there he is. When I he grew froze. up, uh, one of my uncles was uh, living in New York, upstate New York. And with us in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. there were a couple of times when we went on a drive to go spend some time with them. And that was 15 hours. And we would do that all in one shot. And that was a long, long day in the car. Yeah, we'd often leave here, the Des Moines area, and go to Estes Park, you know, Boulder, Colorado area. Sure. I don't know if that's like 10 to 12 hours, but it's like you leave in the morning, you get there about, you know, five or six, and it's not too bad. Yeah. Get done in the day. So, but yeah, I prefer to do all the driving myself. It keeps me engaged. Otherwise, I get bored. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Logan disagrees. I mean, I'm a very good car napper. Mm. So, like, if I can drive for, you know, five, six, seven hours and then be like, hey, here you go, and I'm napping the rest mm-hmm. of the way, we're good. Yeah. Right. So you probably make it farther that way, though. Yeah. So you're more, yeah. of the, uh, more of the sprint medley driver than the distance yeah, I mean, I'm like if I'm if I'm alone, no issues. I've driven to Vegas on my own, and I could have done that in one day, and it's a twenty hour drive. Um, but if I have an option, oh yeah, like we're sharing the driving, man. I mean, if it's if it's that long a haul, if it's a six hour drive, seven hour drive, no issues. Yeah, um, I'd prefer to drive then. Yeah, but yeah, so equal opportunity driver. It's great. Good to see you in 2022. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things my kids did when we were down there was collect approximately two metric tons of seashells. That ranged, and there were seven, seven kids on the trip altogether. And the littlest of the kids really didn't care what they grabbed for shells. They were just after anything that... Mm-hmm. was a shell. So lots of fragments and whatever, but um and I was thinking even before this trip of trying to come up with some sort of woodworking based souvenir from the trip. And in the course of it, my daughter suggested that I make her a display case of some sort to show off some of her uh, the cooler and larger shells that she was able to collect from the trip, which I thought was kind of a cool idea. Because not only does it, you know, having a display case, I think it elevates the 
what it is, you know, that, you know, shows that this is something special. But then also to your point, Logan, on other discussions, is that it protects the found item from collecting too much dust. Because I believe you refer to them as dustables. I do call them <laughs> dustables, 100%. <laughs> so anyway, I have that on the option as as one of my vacation souvenirs that I thought would be kind of fun to do. Mm-hmm. And the best can part is, is that over display... time... I was going to say, can you just make it a display shelf? Shelf. shelf. Yeah. You uh, could. No? Yep. Mm-hmm. Swing and a miss there, Logan? Yeah. You don't like that one? I mean, no, it was a, it was like a, a half-hearted bunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as long as I can get on base. Right. I think maybe what we should do is have Logan do a, a split turning. Mm-hmm. So like a bowl, but then it ends up being a shelf that you can carve as a shell. Mm-hmm. There you go. I like it. It's on the nose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So other than that, I was kind of hoping maybe to find something that would inspire me for another kind of souvenir or memento based project and I didn't really come up with too much. So although driving through Mississippi, this is part that was surprising to me was how much timber there was growing in that whole section, which I just figured Mississippi for being mostly cropland, which I guess it is. It's just that it, the crop happens to be loblolly pine. Well, I know, like, you get down into, like, Arkansas, where I've been there bear hunting before, and you start to get into, like, that, those old growth, not, not old growth, but, like, um, pulp, pulp producing pine stands, where they're doing it for pulpwood. And they do it because there's such a long growing season. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not like up here where you get, you know, the, the seasonal, you know, shift. Um, you have a, such a long growing season that they grow quickly and you can get a set of loblollies or um, other pulpwood pine softwoods to go to like harvest size in like 10 years where usually it takes, you know, 30. Yeah. So. Yeah. I can see that, which was funny because just a few miles off the Gulf, we uh, drove past cornfields where the corn was already like hip high. And mm-hmm. at the time, you know, better than half of Iowa hadn't even been planted yet. So that was kind of cool. So maybe I'll just have to make something out of Southern Yellow Pine is is the thing. Yeah. I think Mark's doing one of those right now. Yeah. Yeah. So. The other thing that we saw that I was really excited when we started planning this trip of going to the Gulf was uh, touring the battleship Alabama, which is anchored in Mobile Bay, which was tons of fun. Um, As a kid, I was super excited when in the 80s, the Iowa class battleships were modernized and brought back in. They were originally built during World War II and uh, they came back into the Navy in the 80s with upgrades and 
long ago, I had actually gotten the model of the USS Iowa that I built and then ended up moving to Iowa. So, so anyway, I knew that the Alabama was down there and I've, it's just a little bit smaller than the Iowa class. So I wanted to, I've always wanted to tour it. And that was tons of fun too, to see the inside of that ship and what it must've been like to live on it uh, during the war and be at sea and just all the different, I mean, it's like a town that shoots or is designed for shooting or whatever. It was, mm-hmm. it was super cool. So I was trying to think of if there was a battleship Alabama related woodworking that I could do without being a like a model. Nope. You have to do it. You have to do it to this <laughs> Chris Fitch, Steve Johnson scale. Right. Yeah. That's what you have to do. See, I don't know that I have that kind of patience to do hyper detailed models. Nope. See, now my, my thing has been, and my wife got on board with this, so usually my wife doesn't have time for any of my crap, um, like the crap I come up with. Sure. Um, and, but she was on board with this one, and I said, you know, hey, everywhere we take a family vacation, I need to find somebody that does some form of, like, firewood or something so that I can um, bring home a turning blink to do like a bowl from everywhere we go okay that's cool you know which i think would be kind of fun um i haven't done it yet (laughs) but (laughs) i think it would be kind of cool cool that would be kind of fun especially Mm -hmm. since you had mentioned i don't remember if it was on a podcast or just us talking about uh a carver that you were in contact with using tupelo wood for their carvings yes yeah Yep, and I'm going up there here in a, about a month. Um, well, yeah, three weeks. I'm going up there. I wonder if that's where, like, what's the correlation between Tupelo, Mississippi, and Tupelo Wood? Right. You know, has to be some form of correlation, right? I would think so. Yeah. So anyway, even while I'm on vacation, I'm thinking about woodworking. It was a fun trip. Glad to have done it want to thank Shaper Tools. They're the sponsor of today's episode. They make that Shaper Origin, the handheld CNC router that brings digital precision to the craft of woodworking. Tackle joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, and more with speed and precision. Best of all, you can try it risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Visit shapertools.com to learn more. So what I wanted to talk with you guys today about was... um, construction decisions in building a project. And I have two projects in mind to serve as a jumping off point. Uh, One for video edition, I'm working on a version of a green and green style picture frame that you designed, John. Mm -hmm. And And that's gonna be in an upcoming issue of the magazine. And in that one, you used mortise and tenon joinery for everything. And in the version that I did just to change things up, just because I used biscuits because I have an old school biscuit biscuit joiner and I love it. Um, But the other thing was uh, a sliding door cabinet that I'm doing as a class for the Des Moines woodworkers. And the sliding doors, in the project are made with lap joints, half laps, 
which is fine. It works out really great. Uh, and I think Logan has that cabinet as we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a class that can be challenging to get that many people through that many lap joints. So I was thinking of doing those doors as pocket holes because they're sliding doors. So if you do the pocket holes on the back side and then they slide, you'll never see them. And you get the doors assembled lickety two. Mm-hmm. You'll never see them, but everybody knows. <laughs> and that's my question is how do you decide on a project what joint or maybe it's a category of joints or you know where where would you say like is my use of biscuit joints in that frame legit in the fact that a i wanted to show something a little bit different b it's a little bit faster than mortise and tenon and for a picture frame let's be honest that thing is not being stressed right well yeah i guess that's where it comes into my decision where it's like what what ones are good enough like functionally what ones are structurally going to be good enough and out of that category which ones are going to be the least amount of work sure and some form of the functionality in my opinion has to come down to uh, aesthetics has to play into that functionality so like your example of sliding door cabinet you'll never see the the screws so that is a perfectly legitimate option if i'm working on a big six drawer chest of drawers and i look at the drawer joinery and i say all right pocket screws are an option i'm going to throw it out immediately because functional functionally i don't want the aesthetics of that would it work? Yes, but part of my functionality is the aesthetics in that in that scenario. So, so how much does um, I don't know? I hate to use the word efficiency necessarily, but speed. Oh no, it's it's efficiency completely play a role in when you decide when you're working on a project. Um, right at this point in my life, it is a lot of it at the point where I am retired 30 years down the road, <laughs> it might not play as big of as big a part. Um, but I have less time than I have anything else. So generally efficiency is a high, high point on the checklist. Okay. Yeah. John. Yeah, I'm the same way, too. I, if it's like a picture frame or a mirror frame or something that's always going to be facing the wall or mounted to the wall, you're never going to see it. Pocket screws or, you know, find it to to get the job done. I'm probably going to feel bad about it, but I'm like Logan. I just most of the stuff just needs to get done or it's never going to get done. So just got to keep the momentum there mm-hmm. as, as far as getting projects done. Um, if it's something that I'm doing just out of pure enjoyment or needs to, you know, look a little bit nicer or stronger, um, for the functionality, you know, I might go the extra mile with, with joinery and whatnot, but yeah, it's more about, I guess, getting it done right now than anything. So. 
I can see that. Although I would say that it probably... How much do you think that our conditioning in being at Woodsmith and Pop Wood makes you probably, let's say, a traditionalist when it comes to joinery decisions? Mm-hmm. And we will choose something a little bit more expedited as the case warrants, whereas there are probably a number of woodworkers out there who have a bias towards expedited joinery and will only go traditional joinery mm-hmm. on special occasions, so to speak. Kind of the reverse. Right. Yeah. I mean, just uh, the that green and green um, picture frame that you're building and using biscuits. Uh, I mean, a lot of the, the as far as the joinery... Um, I put in for the project for the magazine is like, you know, we have to fill pages and teach techniques and, and all of that where, I mean, in practicality, it's not really necessary for that type of project. That's just going to hang on the wall and not have a lot of stresses. But, um, so, you know, just being a part of Woodsmith kind of drives that a little bit. And like you said, conditioning and, you know, some of the, the stuff that I do is more of my own personal OCD than what is actually necessary <laughs> as far as construction and building things and kind of, kind of overkill, I guess. Right. But, so, I mean, a, yeah. tool options play a role here too, because we have the assumption yeah. that, yeah. that folk have a table saw and a drill press probably so that we, you're starting with a as wide a net as possible for tooling, whereas like a biscuit joiner mm-hmm. or you know using biscuits implies having a biscuit joiner, which is not as common of a tool. Yeah, but I feel like if somebody wants to produce something, they'll find a way. Sure. To to quote the greatest lizard movie ever, life will find a way. <laughs> and uh, like if somebody doesn't have a biscuit joiner you can still do the same thing with router yeah Yeah. router and a wing right it's not as easy though as easy no Um, or if somebody doesn't have a biscuit joiner okay so what go back to Morris right or go to pocket or, screws, you know, or dowling, a dowling jig, a dowling yeah. jig, yeah, yeah, or some, yeah, yeah. yeah I kind of forget that sometimes that that we have a lot of access to a lot of different tools. Where, yeah, somebody might just have, you know, pockets, you know, ability to do pocket screws, or just, um, yeah, you know, dowels, or 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 if you don't have a dowel jig, use a, I mean, just freehand those holes, sharpen a dowel and mark your workpiece. You right. know what I mean? Like y- you can find life will find a way. Um, I do think though that there are, I guess. Uh, so I said that, you know, generally time plays into to it. There are certain things that I do just because I like the looks of them. So, I mean, that, that just kind of roll into my aesthetics. Sure. Um, but there's also a certain satisfaction in some techniques that I do occasionally that I'm like, yeah, I did that. Be- I did that for myself. <laughs> um, one, one of which 
and I, I, it's, uh, it's in the next issue of Popular Woodworking that we're working on right now. Is um, I this little splayly table I did is a uh, the it's mortise and tenon joinery to connect the legs to the aprons, but I used drawbore yeah. joints on it. So it is a drawbore pin with you know two pins in each mortise and tenon. And oh my God, there is such there it is such a satisfying thing pounding together a drawbore joint where you get that pin started, or that peg started, and all of a sudden you hit that tenon hole that's slightly offset. There's a little bit of resistance, but you tap it a little bit further, and all of a sudden you just watch that joint go and suck close with a perfect line of glue squeeze out. It's phenomenal. And it's just, <laughs> I will do that. Anytime that I have a spare second to do that, I will do that in a joint because right. I love it. Mm. Plus, yeah. I like the way it looks. So, even though it's not necessary, especially on that particular table. Oh, completely not necessary. Yeah. Although, even with those spindly little legs, I sat my fat butt on that table <laughs> because I'm like, this would make really cool bar stool seats. And Dylan's like, yeah, but how wobbly would it be? I'm like, I don't know. Let's throw 200 pounds on it and see. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Because yeah. if there's one thing the Shakers were known for, it was their bar wear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Their bar and liquor <laughs> tables, liquor cabinets. I'm going to do a Shaker-style liquor cabinet. That's going to be awesome. That would be perfect. Mm-hmm. So what do we have upcoming in the next issue of Pop Woodwood? Um, we got Dylan's tea cabinet. So that's that uh, ash bent lamination case. We have a chainsaw milling article and we have this splay leg table. So those are the kind of the big three. Um, we got a good 12 volt drill review. Comparison slash review. It's not necessarily a review because I think everybody can make their own assumptions based on what we're saying. Um, so they, I mean, if you're already tied into a system, a, a battery system, I think that will always lead your decision, right? So if you have a bunch of Milwaukee stuff, you're probably more likely to buy a Milwaukee item than you are to buy a rigid or a Riley. Sure. Um, so there's that. Um, there is a, I'm calling it a um, bespoke tool maker. So I'm um, looking at Jared Green, who is making saws out of, I believe, South okay. Carolina. And um, a dust collection article. And this was, this was an interesting one for me because I spent about an hour on the phone with Robert Witter, who is the founder of okay. Oneida. And Oneida is probably one of the most thorough and well thought out dust collection companies in my opinion um, yeah. because that's all they do I mean, it's not like a grizzly or other manufacturers that make a lot of tools oneda does dust collection that's all they do and they do it very well and it was you know everybody talks about cfm cubic feet per minute in dust collection when really really that's only a half of the puzzle the other half is static pressure within the system it's like it's like how strong how strong does it suck? How much does it suck? Not the volume at which it sucks, but how strong is that force? Um, and 
stuff. So kind of talking about some of the best practices in dust collection and a brief overview of the Oneida Supercell, uh, which I installed in the photo studio. Um, and it is a really, really cool, extremely strong dust collector. Um, it's, it's pretty awesome. So. Cool. So yeah, that was kind of an overview on our next issue. So that gets shipped out here. This week it goes to pre-press, and then next week it'll be off right. to the printer. And then I get three days to breathe, and then the next <laughs> one. The endless yep. cycle. Mm-hmm. So, our mini excavator across the street, in case you guys are wondering, has blown a hydraulic line. Oh, That's no. Awesome. Yep, it's spraying <laughs> hydraulic fluid all over. <laughs> Sorry. That is super funny. Yep. So, John, what projects are you working on? Um, let's see. I've it's hard to remember what issue we're actually on because I finished our my uh, Mason B house and the picture frames are for uh, the issue that we are currently working on that still need to be photographed. And then uh, coming up, uh, Steve is building a plant stand shelf oh, yeah. deal that. That's for the issue after that. Um, so we're working a little bit ahead, hopefully. And then uh, I need to design, I think it's a like a power tool shelf or something. Garage shop organization type deal. It's kind of vague, so <laughs> need to work on that. If only you had a garage shop so we'll that see what that becomes. organizing. Yeah. Weird. Get some inspiration. Well, he has there. nothing left. He has yeah, nothing right. to organize right. now. Right, exactly. So, no, it's funny because uh, uh, for Mother's Day this past weekend, I uh, told my wife I'd clean out her car and like get it all detailed and cleaned and you know kind of spring cleaning. And I was uh, cleaning it all out, and I was finding like stuff that I'd put in the trunk from like 2017, and <laughs> I don't know board games and Lego. I don't know what was all in there, but it's so that got taken out of the car and then put into the garage. So now it's like just when I had it all cleaned out, putting stuff back in there. So so yeah, now now I have that stuff to clean. I found um, a uh, Murphy bed. Uh, hardware that I bought at a company auction, I think 2017 or 2018. <laughs> that is one of those things. Is like I don't really need this, but I'm gonna bid on it just because, you know, mess with people. And I remember uh, you buying that. Was yeah. that still in Sarah's trunk? Yeah. Well, I drove. Oh, I used Lord, to drive man. that car, you yeah. know, a few years ago before I ended up with the minivan somehow, and so that's it was still in the trunk of that car. So you can see how bad wow. you can see how bad I needed that from that auction. <laughs> yeah. So, also, so. I feel like the upcoming garage organizer is going to include Murphy bed hardware. There you go. Somehow. That would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's like flip down and you can have all your tools on the outside, flip. and then the bed flips down, and if you need a little nap and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. take a little rest. I'm thinking more like flip down workbench, but sure. well, that would be nice too. I, I guess, mean, you'd probably get more yeah. work <laughs> storage system. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, so yeah, that's what I'm working on, I guess, right now. Cool. 
Mm-hmm. I think that wraps up another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. We've got a short one in here for today. The weather is nice, and we're all thinking about being outside after it being super cold in Iowa for so, so long. So we'd love to hear what you have going on in your workshop and also what kind of joinery decisions you make when it comes to building projects. If you want to leave a comment on our YouTube channel, I'd love to see it. Or you can email us woodsmith at woodsmith.com. want to thank Shaper Tools for sponsoring today's podcast. They make that handheld CNC router, the Shaper Origin. They have a special deal going right now. You can try it risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Check it out at shapertools.com to learn more. Bye, everybody.